So if they were here, we'd be having a morning of saying thank you to our volunteers for the year. Um, but there are some, and we really do want to take a moment. We'll almost certainly have to do this again when we gather, and uh, we're not quite as uh, restricted as we are now. But um, the reading that came to my mind as I thought about serving Jesus in this time, and uh, the sermon will lead us in uh, even further, but just to those of you who do serve. And like, you know, one of the things about serving, and Jesus gave us that parable of the workers in the vineyard, and some worked the whole day, some did one hour. It doesn't matter how much you do, it matters who you do it for. And when you're working for the master, then it is joy and the reward is the same. And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. And I think we're in a time where doing something like that really matters and finding things to do in the Lord, for the Lord. And then he says this, Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor is not in vain. It's not pointless. There's something so meaningful, so fruitful, so lasting, so enduring. And so to those of you who have served and those of you who do serve, and it is in so many different ways. Again, from the, the PBC side, and uh, Andrea's job is to coordinate this from three congregations and children's church and youth ministry and missions and mercy and justice and, um, you know, the freezer meals and just about everything else. We've just got so many people serving. And we want to say, let nothing move you. <laughs> Stand firm. What a joy to keep serving the Lord. And the key thing is, is that what we do is done as unto the Lord. And so we really do want to say to those of you who served in so many different ways, um, I think in terms of our worship teams, our prayer ministry, things that are obvious on a Sunday and then things that are not obvious on a Sunday, uh, so many different ways in which we get to serve the Lord. And so we give thanks for you. And we're grateful for you. And um, there are people walking around with shopping bags full of gifts. Um, and those are ministry leaders who are trying to find their volunteers. Um, but we're not going to have a grand stand up and find your volunteer mingle uh, for obvious reasons today. So uh, just thank you to those who prepared to, uh, to acknowledge and honor those. And we give thanks for those who serve. Let's pray together. Father, we do. We come with joy to thank you for the privilege of serving you in so many different ways. And Lord, many of those are coordinated, recognized, but so many of those are quite simply inside our everyday life as we follow you and obey you. Father, we thank you for the many hours of work and prayer and service and investment and of giving themselves to the work of the Lord. We thank you for each one who's done that. And we pray, Lord, that this season would be a time of refreshing and not only your 
protection and care, but also just a renewing and a reviving of the passion that caused them to step up in the first place. Lord, we pray for a refreshing in our service. In Jesus' name, amen. So for those of you joining us today, you're joining us just in time for a conclusion of our study of the letter of James. It's a general epistle. He says he's writing it to the 12 tribes, which means, of course, all Christians, because in the code language of the New Testament, the Jews only made up two and a half tribes. So when you start talking about the 12 tribes, you're talking about the restored or the renewed people of God, the people of God that God has brought back together again. Now, of course, James is writing as the leader of the Jewish, uh, I mean, the Jerusalem church. It's a very Jewish thing. And he assumes that the early Gentile believers have, have started the work of learning the Jewish root system that's part of the faith and revelation of God. You know, we forget that uh, when the New Testament urges us to know and study the scriptures and commends the Bereans in the book of Acts for checking in the word of God whether what Paul was teaching them was actually legit, that they were doing that from the Old Testament. That was the Bible that were, they were using. That was what they were teaching. And they were teaching and preaching Jesus. They were just doing it from the Old Testament. So we come in this book and we've had a journey that's too long to explain. So we're just going to dive in to James chapter 5 and verse 13. And, the ministry, and our title this morning is Ministry, Jesus' Way. James 5 verse 13. Is any among you in trouble? It's a rather embarrassing word. It starts with a bad word in Afrikaans. It basically means you're having really lousy emotions. Um, and, um, and it says, if, is anyone afflicted or in trouble? Or, no, I won't use the Greek word. It's too obvious. Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Luck, obviously. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You see, Elijah was a human being, an ordinary man, even as we are. He prayed earnestly, or he prayed that he prayed, is literally, there's no earnestly there. It's just like he added prayer to prayer. Uh, that it would not rain. And it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So my brothers and sisters, he's wrapping up. If any one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from error, uh, the error of their way, will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now, we can scratch our heads and, and almost ask the question, cover over a multitude of sins? Isn't that what Jesus did on the cross? Well, the amazing thing about this whole passage is that we get to minister so closely alongside Jesus that even some of the things that he exclusively did, did get ascribed to us. And so when we help someone find their way back to God, 
even though ultimately it's obviously Jesus who covers sins, we are said because we've shared with Jesus in the ministry that we ourselves are even part of covering over their many sins. Now, misunderstandings can be quite funny. We have a cat called Piglet. And now, as in the last couple of weeks, we have a dog called Bunny. It's just like the most obvious thing. I didn't choose the names, by the way. I don't get a vote in my house. Um, Now, Piglet is not happy that we have a new dog who doesn't know all her rules. Piglet arrived when we had a full-grown dog called Holly, and Piglet trained Holly in the ways of cat language. Um, And when she was tiny, she hissed and fussed. But now it's her turn to have a little dog running around training her in dog rules. And it doesn't really work. You see, Bunny just wants to be friends, Bunny the dog. And she tells Piglet the cat in her dog language that she means no harm and she wants to be friends. What do I mean? Well, she stands like this. She looks to the side and she looks away and then she sort of like looks. And then she kind of puts She invites Piglet to come and have a sniff and see that there's nothing wrong. But, of course, in cat language, let's just say Piglet is not impressed. And when that doesn't work, Bunny goes low and she faces Piglet and she goes low and she bounces and she waggles her tail. Now, when a cat waves its tail, when a cat goes low, it's about to have you for lunch. And so, again, in sort of like cat language, everything Bunny is doing is not being understood by Piglet in the way. Do you see the problem? Why? Because they just have such different starting points. Misunderstandings can be quite funny. Our reading today has caused for some people a tremendous amount of chaos and confusion and mild panic when they read it. Um, And I just want to kind of take a little bit of that confusion and panic away because people are getting terribly worried that we might pray for people who don't get healed and then, you know, the word of God doesn't work, whatever that means in the Western world. Um, From a Jewish mindset, from an Eastern mindset, they're not seeing this as formulas. They're seeing this as a call to way of life. Now, the problem we have is we have this huge gap and, and therefore the language, the imagery of this passage is just lost on us in the same way that Piglet's, I mean, Bunny's invitation to Piglet is just lost on her. Whether to be friends or to come and play is just lost. And people come to this passage and they just miss the point. Because there was never meant to be this huge gap between how Jesus showed Father God's love to people and how we do it. It's just never meant to be the gap. So Jesus could go around and show that God loved people, valued them, had good plans for them by ministering to them in the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so through that anointing, the Bible tells us Jesus healed people. He set people free from all kinds of nasty things that controlled their lives. He forgave their sins. He told them the the wonderful news that if they trusted God and followed him, that he would help them find their way back. Sorry, if they trusted him and followed him, he would help them find their way back to God, no matter how far from God they were. 
Now, some people think that in spite of what Jesus did, we're just supposed to do it completely differently. We're supposed to come up with sexy, uh, modern ways of doing ministry. Clearly, we can't heal people. Clearly, you know, we can't drive out demons and do what Jesus did. And so, you know, we've got to come up with another way, which normally just means words, 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 and nag people into heaven. The passage has such a different picture. He's writing to these early churches. James's letter, basically, as it reaches its end, shows us just how close our mission and ministry is supposed to be. And I thought this was like a really good scripture. A, we were supposed to be commissioning our son Josh and his wife Shan as they head off to Manchester to go church planting. You're going to start a Jesus community that does this kind of stuff as its normal bread and butter. It's just the stuff that the followers of Jesus do. Why? Because it's the stuff that Jesus did. Listen to Luke chapter 4, for example. Jesus returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news begins to spread through the whole countryside. And he's teaching in their synagogues. Everyone is praising him. And then verse 16 we read, He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day went to the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place, he wanted this spot, where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. This is just after his baptism and subsequent temptation. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. I mean, he had their full attention. And he began by saying to them, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You see, that's how Jesus understood his ministry. And when you look at his life, that's just what he went around doing. Wonderful things, healing people, forgiving people, setting them free from lies and unclean spirits that controlled their lives, confronting the rubbish that the religious people of the day were putting all over them. And literally people were being made new wherever Jesus went. And when you get to the book of Acts, which is the next, as it were, uh, chapter in the grand story, we find that that's what the apostles did. That's what the followers of Jesus did. He was their model and they just kept doing it. In fact, the book of Acts reads like the Gospels, but with different names inserted in. James's letter to these believers is simply reminding them of the business end of ministry if you're a follower of Jesus. That's all it is. It's not overstating the promises of Jesus. You've got a problem with some of these promises. Well, then you've got a problem with a whole lot of things Jesus said you could expect to do when you have faith in God. Because it's simply the same tone. It's simply the same description. James reminds us of three resources then that God has given us to help us access this wonderful way of doing God's mission by the power of the Holy Spirit. And these are not instead of doing things Jesus' way. These things, these resources, and we could probably find more, help us do ministry in Jesus' way. And the first is a community of people that people come together. And it's a transparent, vulnerable community they're able to be really honest with each other, but not in disempowering ways. You know, there's a way to be honest with you that makes my problems your problem. 
because I'm abdicating. I'm like shouldering it onto you. No, no, no. Confess your sins so that you may be healed. So you're talking to other people openly, honestly, vulnerably. You're in a real community. And at the same time, that community is able to be to you what Jesus would be to you if he was there in person. And out of that encounter, you're able to walk away and say, my sins are forgiven. Like you really, really feel like you've been set free from this stuff. And the interesting thing is, is that this community is overseen by spiritual people who understand how to minister with God's power. And so their job, you know, of course, it's a given in the book of Acts. It's a given from the training Jesus gave that everybody plays. Everyone gets to do the ministry. Everybody is involved in the mission. And so we, you know, we work through this and, and we all have gifts and we all have ministries. We all invite people into healing and forgiveness and repentance. We all confess, deal with sin and help others find our way back to God. And for those of you locals, we've looked at this in the Walk as Jesus Did series. We've looked at this in the Equip series. Yet sometimes on our own, we find that it's getting really tough, that, that the ministry that we were hoping to achieve and accomplish, for example, someone is sick. And he says, call the elders. And, and it's interesting, and it's the only time this is used in Scripture in this way. Most times you pray with someone, or you pray for someone, or you pray to the Lord. This is the only time in Scripture that anybody is said to pray over someone. Now, because it's used only once, you don't go and develop a whole technical theology of it. But it's interesting, elders are described as overseers of the church. And there seems to be something in the faith environment, there seems to be something in the bigger picture that's messing with the individual ministry. And so their job is to come and think and see a little bit bigger than just the individual problem and to help land a successful ministry outcome. Now, he uses the example of being sick, but the passage is very clear. It could be sin. And so he says, well, at the end of it, the person can be forgiven. Uh, you know, if they sin, they'll be forgiven too. In other words, it's just the Jesus ministry basket that's on offer here. And sometimes when we get stuck, it's really helpful to have people understand and discern with you what's getting in the way of real answers to prayer. Why are we getting stuck? And so that's the value of community. Um, they become to you that which you might get stuck without. Uh, they assist you to get to the finish line. And some of you have experienced that with the elders. You've come, you've sat, you've had challenges, etc. And maybe one or two of the elders or maybe the whole basket of the elders have had the opportunity to hear your confession, to pray with you and to deal with things that you were struggling with in your life. And I just know time and time again, and it's obviously not me to mind to share the details, how people walk out of that almost feeling born again again. Because there's just such a freedom that comes from being in community that when you just do it God's way, he produces his fruit. Another resource that we have. So the first is being in this kind of community that's vulnerable, open, transparent, and honest, and has a team of people that are going to help you get things done that you couldn't get done on your own. The second thing you see in this passage is very clear. There's faith. There's both individual and collective faith. And of course, Jesus lived and ministered by faith. So did the early church, and so can we. 
In other words, that Jesus obviously did that out of relationship with the Father and by the Holy Spirit. So we, you know, there's this Trinitarian formula in the Bible. You see that all things are from the Father. He, you know, and James knows this, of course. You know, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of the heavenly lights. All things are from the Father. James doesn't teach it as much, but we know from John's Gospel and others, all things are through the Son. Without Him, nothing was being, has been made. There is out, you know. And so through the Son, our salvation is through the Son. He's the mediator of all things. He was the mediator of creation. He's the mediator of our redemption. He's going to be the mediator of the new creation. All things are through the Son. And then all things are by the Spirit. And whether that, again, you go back to creation, you see the Spirit was preparing, it was ready, and when the Word came, that, that, that Trinitarian, like synergy, released this incredible thing. And Jesus explains that we are invited into this, by faith, into this Trinitarian synergy. Jesus lived in this Trinitarian life, and he says, well, if, if you let me in, you're letting my Father in, and we'll give you... Someone just like us, another comforter, another counselor, another strength, and he's going to be for you. And so when you put your faith in this God, we begin to share in the fruit that Jesus had as part of the source of his life. Now, we must understand Jesus is part of the Trinity. He's fully God. And yet Jesus himself, fully God, shows us all things are from the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit. And so what faith helps us to do is to enter into that Trinitarian dynamic and begin to experience life that is from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. And so ministry flows by the Spirit. It's from the heart of the Father. It's made possible because of what Jesus has done. And its power comes to us by the Spirit. So faith isn't a trick to get God to do what you want. You know, okay, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray. No, no, no. Faith is quite simply abandoning yourself into not just the community God has made on earth, but ultimately we see in this picture, faith is abandoning yourself to the community that exists in heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and letting them produce in us the same outcomes it produced in Jesus. And then the third resource is that of prayer. James mentions prayer several times. It's like a default setting. It was a default setting in the life of Jesus. He prayed so often. It was, and if Jesus needed to pray, well, of course we needed to pray. But we might be tempted, in spite of all this great theology, to think Jesus is the exception. And so he doesn't just go to like Peter, who prayed lots, or to another New Testament hero. He says, listen, if you think this can't be done, Let's go back to your Bible and find someone who even before the coming of the Spirit in the way that we have received him uh, is, is there for us. And so Elijah's repeated prayer is given as an example of what is possible when an ordinary person commits themselves to extraordinary prayer. Elijah's life and story. And it's not just a picture from the Old Testament. He's very clear that that picture becomes a promise of what God can do in your life today. His testimony establishes, as it were, a precedent of what your experience and my experience can be. And so James just casually expects miracles. You know, it's just, it's just, the, it's not like he's, 
you know, coming up with some magic formula. He's just describing what the Christian community should be like in the light of all that he's been teaching during this time. So, you know, Martin Luther thought this was an epistle of straw because, you know, it didn't have enough sort of like focus on. But when you look at it in terms of who he was speaking to and what he assumed they already understood, this thing's been, a, a, you know, a, a goldmine of amazing insights into the life and tone and posture of the early church. And so James expects a life of answered prayer. It's like weird for him that you wouldn't have confidence in God when you pray. You're just going to come with expectation. How else do you want to pray? You know, do you, you want to front load your doubt? Like, no, just, just come believing that you're going to get what you ask for. That's what Jesus taught. Just do it. We'll handle the pastoral fallout after the fact, but don't preload it in your approach to God. Don't come and go, I know this is not going to happen, but heck, I'll be surprised if it does. Of course, you can't do this stuff. You can't forgive sins, and yet the Bible says you get to cover over a multitude of sins. You can't heal anyone, yet the Bible says you're going to do it. And in one sense, none of us can lead anyone to God. The Bible's very clear that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Who of us can lead someone back to God after they've wandered away? All of these things are impossible, not just the healing. Like, what do we think we are? You know, making one thing possible, I mean impossible, and all the other stuff as if, oh, well, I can do that. Really? Do you think any of us can change a heart? Do you think any of us can cover over sins? Do you think any of us can heal? Do you think any of us can set people free? Well, in one sense, it's precisely because of James's assumptions that he says the startling answer is yes. <laughs> of course you can't, so go do it. Of course you can't. Of course this is what Jesus does. Of course this is what the Father does, so go and do it. Enter into that place of community. Enter into that place of connection. Enter into that place of faith and a lifestyle of prayer. And watch God take your breath away. I think it's a great way to wrap up our year with expectancy into the next. Like just recognizing, God, you're going to do through us the things we can't do. You're going to do through us the things we can't do. Now, this morning, I couldn't preach about healing and all that stuff without, I mean, like I've got two sons with COVID right now, and I think there's a whole bunch of us who've either got family members who are either having to isolate, who are actually unwell. I know there's a truckload of people who've sent their apologies this morning. They actually can't be here for those same reasons. And so we want to take a moment, and I want to invite you maybe to think of people. We're not going to shout them out now. Um, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. Um, but we want to take a moment. And I want you to join with me and the elders, as it were, we think about what we've just heard, and we're going to pray over them. We're going to pray over them, and then we're going to pray for them. You ready to join me? Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, we love you.
Thank you for calling us to follow you. Abba Father, thank you for letting Jesus come and introduce you to us. We love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. We honor you. Thank you for making community real between us on earth and somehow between us and heaven itself. So we say, come Holy Spirit, make heaven real, make Father God real, show us Jesus again. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Now when he comes, he releases on his people the same anointing that was on Jesus. That's how the kingdom comes. David understood that God adopted him as his son and anointed him by his spirit so that he could rule in God's name. God, thank you that you've made us your own. You've adopted us. Pray now this morning for a fresh anointing so that you can rule through us. You can rule through us. You can rule through us. That the world can be changed just like you ruled through Jesus. That your kingdom came in and through a man from Nazareth in Galilee and it literally changed the world. Holy Spirit, we invite your equipping and your anointing and your refreshing. Lord, we want salvation to touch people's lives. We want people to be brought back to God. We want healing to come. We want forgiveness of sins. We want repentance that changes lives. And so we lay ourselves before you as we bringing this year to a close and we say, come Holy Spirit. Rule through us. Bring your kingdom. Change lives. Do what Jesus did. Do what Jesus did. And so, Lord, with that big picture, we want to pray over our communities. We want to pray over those who are not well. We want to pray with the kind of faith and expectation and confidence. Lord, whether they're in hospital right now, whether they're in bed, or whether they're just sitting on the lounge, whether they're going to watch this in a few hours' time in the recording, we want to release over them fresh faith and expectancy for your healing, for your hope, for your encouragement. Lord, we say no to fear, and we say yes to the unfailing love of God. We say yes to healing, and no to sickness. And we say yes to redemption, and no to destruction. And so to each household, into each person, we pray over them, in Jesus' name. And Father, won't you come and be with them, minister to them as we pray now for them. Lord, ride into their hearts and minds, strengthen them, give them endurance, and may they be strong. And Father, in Jesus' name, we bless you, bless you, and we bless them, sorry, we bless them with your healing in Jesus' name. Thank you that we get to do this. Thank you that the impossible the completely, ridiculously impossible is now our command. 
And Lord, your will is our command. Your will is our command. And so in your name, we release this into their lives. Thanking you. Amen. So guys, the Lord bless you. Next week is online. And, uh, and then we'll let you know what happens for Christmas Day. <laughs>